follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Before we get the program started today, I want to remind listeners that the Costa Report is now available coast-to-coast on the Business Talk Radio Network and their affiliate stations, and also on Voice America. So no matter where you are, you can enjoy the fastest-growing postpartisan news program in the country. Our special guest today is popular author and Pulitzer Prize-winning commentator and syndicate columnist for the Miami Herald, Mr. Leonard Pitts Jr. In spite of wearing all these hats, when asked what he does for a living, Pitts claims that above all things, he is simply a writer. Before he joins the program today, let me tell you a little about about his background. Leonard Pitts was born and raised in Southern California, and at the age of 12, he was already writing stories about superheroes and submitting these stories to magazines, hoping against all odds that someone would discover this ambitious youngster, and they did. He published his first work when he was 14 and received his first paycheck for writing at the age of 18. He entered the University of California on special honor programs and received his undergraduate degree in English when he was only 19 years old. And four years ago, he was awarded an honorary doctorate degree. In 1991, Pitts joined the Miami Herald as their pop music critic. And since 1994, he has been writing a popular syndicated column on pop culture, race, and contemporary social issues. His first book, Becoming Dad, Black Men and the Journey to Fatherhood, was an overnight success. And this was shortly followed by bestsellers Before I Forget and Free Man. Many of you will also remember Pitt's powerful commentary the day after the 9-11 attacks titled, From Here We'll Go Forward. Pitts has been the recipient of the Pulitzer Prize, the American Society of Newspaper Editors Award, the National Society of Newspaper Columnists Award, and he has either been a recipient or a finalist for just about every award in journalism that I am aware of. Today, in addition to his syndicated column, best-selling books, and television and radio commentary, he is a professor at Princeton University. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the program a man whose superpower weapon of choice turned out to be the pen, Mr. Leonard Pitts. Welcome to the program, Mr. Pitts. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was quite an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's all true, and I could go on and on, but then we wouldn't have a very interesting program. It would just be a one long narrative. So, um, first off, let me admit, this is a little bit of a tough interview for me. Um, okay. Uh, because I don't know which of the Leonard Pitts I want to talk to today. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, it feels like there's at least two of you. The columnist that has this remarkable ability to reframe a situation, pull the veneer back, and help us see what's really going on. And then there's the novelist that is much more romantic. You seem to have a, a practical, matter-of-fact side to you, and it's it's balanced by this sort of idealist. A am I wrong? I think I was always a romantic. So it's interesting that you would say that. I was a romantic when I was a kid writing gushy uh Discussing poetry to girls who didn't know I was alive. So, uh, <laughs> oh, they know you're alive now. There, there's, you know, it's it's pro probably like me looking back at all those boys that I I didn't pay any attention to, and you know, they became superheroes, right? And and I'm going, what was I thinking? <laughs> but but you do admit that in your columns you have an ability to take the veneer off and make us really look at things in a in a very sometimes a very stark way. Well, you know, I I don't know that I that I, you know, divide myself like that in, in my own thinking, but I see what you're saying. The column is obviously a completely different creature, and it's not about uh, it's not about romance. It's about who we are uh, as as American people here in the um, you know the second decade of the 21st century, and and that's kind of what I'm trying to capture. We're at a very uh, we're at a very perplexing and vexing crossroads, uh, you know, in our sojourn as as, as Americans. And uh, I think that it's, uh, you know, it, that's what I'm trying to trying to uh, trying to capture, just this whole sense of, of who we are and where we're going and, and what we're going, you know, what we're going to be. And frankly, a lot of us don't seem to have, either we don't have an idea or, or are scared by the ideas that we do have. I think you're right about that. I think we're afraid of the ideas we have. We're afraid to take action on them because uh, yeah. they're, we've watched others. Uh, and the repercussions they've had to deal with by taking action on those ideals. So let let me start by asking you: Do you have any feelings about this first presidential debate? You know, I actually did not get to uh, watch it. I was driving uh, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, so I only heard it. And when I heard it, it sounded uh, frankly rather dull and, and 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 like something of a wash. Like you know, Obama got a shot in and. And Romney got a shot in, but if you'd if you'd asked me just from listening to it, I would have said, well, you know, it was there was no clear winner. But obviously, you know, when I got home and turned on the television, that was a, definitely a minority opinion. Those who had actually seen the debate uh, said that there was a clear winner. I don't know how much I make of it in terms of you know what it's going to mean for the uh, for the long run. Uh, I have a feeling that the uh, the problems that um, that Romney is facing in terms of convincing the electorate. Uh, are sort of or, or, are more structural or more hardwired, and that he's going to it's going to take more than than a good debate performance really to, uh, to to bring those folks around. I have heard that. I've heard from people who listened to the debate over radio uh, that there that Romney might have had a very slight edge, but not much. They called it exactly. pretty much even. And those that watched it on TV. Now, here's something that I didn't know, and I want to bring up to you uh, is that I happened to be up at the Stanford campus working with Stanford um, uh, Video and Audio, and the fellows there showed me three different broadcasts on three different TV stations, and they had handled the broadcast differently. There were people that saw different broadcasts. I don't know if people know that on TV. One uh, one station had a split screen, but another station was going back and forth between Jim Lair and the candidates, and you didn't see what the other person was doing. It's very interesting that those biases were reflected in how the TV stations themselves represented the candidates. Yeah, I, you know, and as we know from, you know, the, the first televised debate, the Kennedy-Nixon debate, uh, all of these things 
matter. All these things play subliminally into uh, into how you know the, the the debate is perceived in terms of who won or or, or in terms of who lost. So I, I have no doubt that that also is a factor. Now, how much is race going to play in this election? Because we know that it played a big role in electing the first black president. Um, I'm wondering if it even has anything to do with this election at all. Now, I mean, once we pass that milestone, is it is it really relevant this time around? Oh, sure it is. Uh, you know, you, you see this in um, in the, uh, the conservative media apparently trying to use a I think it's a five year old video of the president and retie him to um, to uh, Jeremiah Wright and and all of the implications of Chicago style this and Chicago style that. Uh, it's obviously coded, oh, and let's not forget the um, the uh, food stamp references. Uh, it, it's all obviously very much uh, coded, but it's all very much there. I don't know how effective it's going to be, though. That's the, that's the question. I think that it it had its moment. It did what it, whatever it was going to do um, four years ago. But the thing that they're failing to understand now is that people, you know, love him or or, or not. People have had four years of Barack Obama. Yes, you know, taking his, you know, taking his daughters, you know, to for ice cream and his wife on the date and and killing Bin Laden and all of the other things that have gone on over the last four years. So if you're going to have a difficult time making him the scary black man. You can do that. You can fill in those blanks when there are blanks to fill in, and people don't know who this guy is, and that, that's a pretty easy characterization to slap on him. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think that's part of the reason that they've had trouble, frankly, getting any traction. Over the last uh, over these last months, the people who are in condition to and will never think of him as anything but a scary black man, they're they're there for you already. But the rest of us are not, and are not going to be moved by scary move by scary music and you know recitations of uh, Jeremiah Wright and Barack Hussein Obama. Nobody, you know, it doesn't work. It's not working. I'm sorry. I think with so much emphasis uh, and people's focus right now being on the economy, I doubt that these extreme things like tying him to, you know, um, extreme factions and also even the birther issue is going to have much influence. I think those are people speaking to their own choir, their own, you know, their own congregation. I don't think that's going to switch over any independent votes or anybody who's sitting on the fence right now. Now, we have to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we'll find out why we should not condemn the poor. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli, owner of Caraccioli Cellars. I have to say that every time that I've been by, it has been packed with people. It's more of a social environment. Yeah, it's really kind of a meeting place as well. In Carmel, a lot of people come and taste a flight of wines before they go to dinner. We have a big screen TV in there. We feed all the games that are local and important, and it definitely becomes a meeting place for people. So you must get a lot of first dates there, maybe? You know, we get a lot of first dates, second dates. A lot of times it's couples that do come in, and we see them again after the first time. I can imagine, and I would suggest that if anyone's thinking about a first date, that might be a really nice place to kick it off. One more time now, where is the tasting room located and what are your hours? We're located right in the heart of Carmel by the Sea, right on Dolores between Ocean and 7th. We're open daily from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. And on Fridays and Saturdays, we actually open up at 11 and stay open till 10 p.m. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. We have an important election coming this November, and I know that many folks are struggling right now. And if you're not struggling, well, then you're just flat out worried. 
I know that you're hoping that the next president, whoever they are, will have a plan for getting us out of an economic hole that keeps getting deeper. But this time around, the answers may not come from the top down. Something is happening to us, and it is happening to all people in all nations at the exact same time. And that is why I am asking you to take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle. It's a book that will change the way you see our problems and also the upcoming election. So please pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. It's available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores everywhere. You can also grab a copy at Rebecca Costa. But don't wait. Take a moment to get your copy and together let's get our lives and our country moving forward again. The Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk and the Capitola Auto Mall Dealer Group present Drive for Schools. Support your local schools and enter to win your choice of a new Toyota Prius, Subaru Outback, or $25,000 cash. Plus over 100 other great prizes. Tickets are just $5, and 100% of the sales benefit participating Santa Cruz County schools. Visit beachboardwalk.com slash driveforschools for a list of schools and ticket information. Your last day to buy tickets from participating schools is October 24th. First. Hi, I'm Andy, the produce manager at Ben Lomond Market. This week we are featuring Driscoll 6-ounce packages, raspberries or blackberries, 2 for $6, and California natural green seedless grapes, $1.98 a pound. We also have California honeydew melons, 2 for $3. From Washington, Small Fuji apples and small Granny Smith apples are $1.19 a pound. Also, Washington Honeycrisp apples are on special $1.99 a pound. From Mexico, we have Italian squash, $0.77 cents a pound. And from Peru, honey tangerines, $1.99 a pound. For that fresh salad, we have red leaf, green leaf, butter lettuce, and romaine, $1.29 each, and add some clustered tomatoes, $1.69 a pound, and your salad is ready for your favorite dressing. So come, check out our pumpkin patch, as well as our great selection of fresh produce at Ben Lomond Market. Tune in to the Sentinel Radio Program Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Brought to you by First Church of Christ Scientist Monterey. Come into our Christian Science Community Reading Room and Bookstore and find comfort from the challenges you're facing. We have the resources that will connect you with your God-given substance. Find help now. Our address is 780 Abrego Street in Monterey. Reach out for this help today. Come in and visit or call 831-372-5076. 372-5076. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa and our guest today is author and columnist Mr. Leonard Pitts Jr. And before the break, you were saying that um, some of the extremists who are trying to portray President Obama as a scary black man won't succeed because Americans have had four years of seeing Obama, the father, the husband, the son, and the leader. So extreme characterizations aren't exactly going to work this time. Just just to finish up uh, our discussion on race, we, we've seen a lot of bizarre behavior toward this president during these past four years. And we still have people uh, performing forensic investigations on his birth certificate. Uh, we've seen members of Congress point their finger and scold the president. Uh, we even heard mainstream media use terms like man-child or socialist. And when you start to string all these things together, there seems to be sort of this general undertone of disrespect. How, how do you see this? Well, pretty much as you said, a general undertone of disrespect. I think a lot of people are very uncomfortable. Let me back up. This is this has got to be a very nuanced discussion. 
we're not talking always about racism per se. We're not talking about people who are, you know, want to go out and burn a cross or upset if their daughter, quote unquote, marries one. But we are talking about a lot of people, you know, a lot of white Americans, frankly, who see their prerogatives as sort of the, um, you know, the, the uh, member of the, the, the American uh, demographic sort of, you know, they're sort of losing that. They're, 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 they're losing the primacy. Uh, that's seen in a lot of in a lot of things. It, it kind of amazes me to look, for instance, this is kind of under the under the radar, but it's kind of amazing to look and see that there has not been a white male Secretary of State since 1997, you know, which is evidence of things changing. I think there were 65 or 66 before that, and then since then they've all they've all been women. They've been African American, and you know, they've been other than than white males. So you know, those doors are creaking open. Those things are changing, and there are a lot of people who are not per se racist, but who are nevertheless having a lot of uh, difficulty processing, you know, what this new world is going to be and what their place is going to be in it. And so you get a lot of these, uh, you know, these sort of subtle attacks, these proxy attacks on, on President Obama, which frankly, from my point of view, are just a way of saying, I am really uncomfortable with this new world that he represents, and I don't know what my place is going to be. Right. And, and I think examining that discomfort is really important because I think we have to reverse engineer. It, it, the answer may not come from the discomfort itself. It may come from our actions and reverse engineering it and saying, gee, why do I feel, uh, why do I take these stands? Why are my behaviors like this? Why are my actions like this? Why do I have these opinions? And then reverse engineering it and saying, and why did they stem from this general unease? But I don't think that there's not a lot of uh, impetus to, to do that, particularly, you know, for those on the on the political right. There's not a lot of impetus for them to do that because, frankly, the uh, the Republican Party has found a, a certain amount of um, of electoral energy, electoral, you know, juice from, from sort of trying to mine that uh, that sense of discontent. That's where the Tea Party comes from. That's where a lot of the, um, the uh, you know, people who were elected to the House of Representatives in the last few years, that's where they come from. That's why they are there, because of that sense of discontent, that sense that there's something new here that they are uh, that they are uncomfortable with. But, it, but history year. has shown us that it is very dangerous for people to energize unconscious motives. These have always led to horrific consequences. Yeah, but uh, how often do we read history? <laughs> oh, say it's not so, Mr. Pitts. <laughs> I hate to say it, but you know we're we're not great readers of history, our own or anybody else's. So. Okay, so moving right along, uh, recently you wrote a column titled "Don't Condemn the Poor," and for our audience uh, that may have missed that column, can you explain what compelled you to write about this? Uh, Mitt Romney um, <laughs> required me to write about it when he. Um, Dumped on the uh, 47% who, in his formulation, excuse me, don't care, you know, uh, about their lives, are, are, are comfortable in their victimhood, and, and et cetera, and it, et cetera. And it just strikes me that uh, not only are the poor a terribly easy target to dump on because there is no real national voice for them. If you say something offensive about women, the National Organization for Women will be all over you. If you say something about African Americans, the NAACP, among others, will be all over you. The poor really don't have that kind of structure. So, one, they're an easy target to uh, to uh, dump on. But uh, the, the other thing is it strikes me that the fact, the very fact that so many of us seem to want to dump on them now says something about where we've gone to morally in the last uh, 40 years. Uh, as I heard a character on television say, 
in 40 years, we've gone from a war on poverty to a war on the poor. Uh, and that ought to uh, concern us for what it says about this, um, you know, this, this culture that we have evolved of, of I got mine and the heck with you. But we're associating poor with lack of character, laziness, exactly. uneducated. Exactly. We're attaching a lot of other adjectives to being exactly. poor as though this is a choice that you've made. Uh, yeah, poverty becomes a character. Uh, a character. Uh, it's a character assassination. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which you know, I mean, and, and they're very brazen. You have the former uh, lieutenant governor of uh, South Carolina likening the poor to uh, stray animals you feed at the back door. You've got Ann Coulter calling them calling them animals, scavenging raccoons, I believe. Uh, John Stossel and uh, Michelle Malkin calling them the uh, you know we're in a war against the, uh, the, the the makers versus the takers, and they're the takers. So on and on and on. And Mitt Romney was of a piece with that because he essentially described those who have less as as moochers. But these are the people who work, you know, the the invisible jobs. These are the people who swept up the um, you know who, who served Mitt Romney and all of his uh, his, his uh, rich friends at that fundraiser where he made that remark. Those are the people who set the table and put the food out. They're the people who swept up afterwards. You know, they're the people who uh, who got the cars, you know, the valets who went and got the cars. These are the people that we're talking about. And it, uh, to me, it, 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 it's, it's cruel. It is it is absolutely cruel that uh, not only that we refuse to, to look at ways to, to help them in, in their poverty, but that we make their poverty sort of this judgment on who they are as, as human beings and on their worth as, as human beings. My dad, my granddad was one of the uh, immigrants who came through Ellis Island to this country, and he often talked about the proud poor. And these were people who worked from sunup to sundown to put dinner on the table and expected their children to do well in schools and wash their own cars, mowed their lawns on weekends, and they never let anyone know they were struggling. And in those days, and I know this is ancient times, uh, you know, a lot of people listening today might not remember, but in those those days you kept your problems to yourself in your view have we lost some of that pride that privacy i think that actually that goes uh that goes even further even further back you got to remember the first programs uh for for poverty were uh in mass were under the um, the administration of franklin roosevelt during the great depression and i think the great depression frankly uh dinged a lot of people, more than dinged, uh, you know, smashed a lot of people in terms of uh, pride, because at some point, I think you come to terms with the, with the fact that I'm going to be proud or I'm going to eat. Yes. And, and when you are faced with that, you know, with that decision, I think a lot of people, you know, reluctantly perhaps, but a lot of people chose uh, chose to eat. Yes. Uh, so I think that, that that whole ideal, to whatever degree it ever existed, I think that, that whole ideal has been in retreat ever since then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't know, and I don't know that yeah. it's. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't know that it's necessarily a, a, a good thing. I, I hear what your what your grandfather was saying, but I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing uh, for people to be so so stubbornly proud. Uh, you know, no, but there, but I do have a value, and that value is that I think that silent suffering's been uh, eliminated. We don't believe in it anymore. You're supposed to tell everybody yeah. your problems and ask everybody for help. And there is something well, very honorable about silent suffering. Now, we have to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the effect the economy has had on intolerance. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hello, my name is Tom Burkhart, founder and CEO of Savant Investment Group. 
We recently opened an office on the Monterey Peninsula headed by local 22-year resident Peter Truman. Our firm began working with clients in the Bay Area 20 years ago. We understand the anxiety of the typical investor, particularly in these volatile times. We're SEC registered, we don't sell products, and we don't receive commissions. We are fee-only advisors. We have a division devoted to corporate retirement plan services that can guide you through the new regulations beginning next year. We manage accounts for $1 million and above. You can reach us at 1-800-672-8268, 1-800-672-8268, and visit our website at www.savantig.com. Again, www.savantig.com. Thank you. Ladies, how many pounds have you gained since you turned 40? If you're like most women, probably 10 or more. But hundreds of thousands of women have discovered the secret to losing weight after 40. It's called Amberin, and it's the only product on the market today clinically proven to cause sustained weight loss for women over 40. With no special diets or exercise programs, you can try Amberin absolutely risk-free and get a one-month supply free by calling 1-800-728-1107. The leading cause of weight gain in women over 40 is hormonal imbalance until you balance your hormones, losing weight can be practically impossible. Amberin balances hormones naturally, so the extra weight can fall right off. Yes, even that stubborn tummy fat. Plus, Amberin relieves other symptoms of hormonal imbalance, like hot flashes, night sweats, low libido, sleeplessness, and more. Be one of the first 50 callers right now, and they'll send you a complimentary, risk-free trial with a 30-day supply free. Free supplies are limited, so call now, 1-800-728-1107. That's 1-800-728-1107. My name is Mickey Phelps, and I'm the executive chef at Crown Cafe Deli and Catering. My favorite sandwich has to be the smokestack. It's a great sandwich on toasted ciabatta roll. You get nice smoked turkey, smoked cheddar, bacon, lettuce, tomatoes, mayonnaise. That's my favorite. And the customers absolutely love the Mountain Man, which is tri-tip, onion rings, Thousand Island, barbecue sauce. It's just amazing. I don't know how they fit it or finish it in their mouth, to be honest with you. For summertime, I have a summer fresh salad, which is arugula. You get some nice blue cheese in there, tomatoes with a light balsamic vinaigrette. We've got a southwestern salad, which is actually geared towards more of the Hispanic side. It's got corn in it. Very refreshing, very ingredient, summer ingredients, shall we say. Crown Cafe Deli and Catering is located at 3555 Suite G, Clare Street in Capitola, between Trader Joe's and Bed Bath & Beyond in the Brown Ranch Marketplace. So come see us. And now a word from your local Hydrex Pest Control. Hello, I'm Ken Walton, your local branch manager with Hydrex. Hydrex Pest Control has expanded. In addition to our standard pest control and termite services, we now offer lawn care, weed control, and live animal trapping. With over 30 years combined experience, we offer high-quality service for an affordable price. Call your local Hydrex today at 1-800-318-1162 or www.hydrexnow.com. Hydrex Pest Control. Look for the sign of the spider explore your universe with coast to coast am assuming there's life like ours on other planets in this universe do you think they too might be looking for this god particle or this question of who are we how did we get here or do you think they even have the answer by now? if they're sentient intelligent beings i have no doubt in my mind they're asking the same questions that we're asking and the day you find a being that's not looking is the day you probably found god monday through friday beginning at 10 p.m on kseo 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Pulitzer Prize winning author and columnist Leonard Pitts Jr. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that suffering and silence may have become a thing of the past. Did you have something more that you wanted to say about that, Mr. Pitts? Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, you know, we're, we're talking about suffering. You're talking about the sort of confessional nature of American, uh, you know, uh, culture these days, by which I, I definitely agree with you. It seems like these days you've got to tell everything to Oprah or Maury or, or whomever, and I, I, I understand that. My remarks are specifically about suffering and silence in terms of not having food to eat, mm-hmm. uh, for which I think that, uh, you know, I don't know that I... That I I don't know that I'd find the nobility there. If the choice between between going to some program where you're going to have to give up some pride, but you're going to be able to get over that hump. That well, let, well, let me give you an example. Yeah, let me give you an example of just even sheltering children from the hardships. Um, there was a period of time where my father became unemployed. It was a short period of time. But I have to tell you that even though my parents were concerned about how they were going to make ends meet, I never knew about it. Uh, I never suspected it. Um, I, I never even knew about it till I was a grown woman. And I, I happened to be talking to my mother and she said, don't you remember that we were really scraping by? We had nothing in the cupboard. We were trying to figure out how to uh, eat. And I, and I don't remember. And neither does my brother and neither do, do anybody that knew us. I, I, I mean, there was some pride there. There was a sense of pride. I don't know if that's even possible anymore. Really? <laughs> Yeah, I, I just don't. I, I think kids, you know, these days are so much more um, aware and so much in, than I remember being, because I remember being a kid who was just sort of oblivious and off in my little bubble. And uh, I think kids these days are, are much more aware of what's going on around them. So uh, you, you mean I would be tweeting that there's no food in our refrigerator? <laughs> you just might. <laughs> you just might. I mean, we've, got, we, we've, we've had kids who, with the thought they didn't like the punishment that they've gotten and, and, and call, you know, children's services or whatever. So, yeah, I could see that happening. <laughs> okay. So my father used to often say that as soon as the economy gets bad, everyone uses that as an excuse for their bad behavior. And it feels like that's what's going on now. Businesses are under even more pressure than before to show profits. So they get rid of full-time workers and they hire part-time workers so they don't have to pay benefits. And then leaders are suddenly all up in arms about immigration reform because they're worried that illegal immigrants are stealing jobs. And, you know, I, I think my father may have been right. This polarization and intolerance is just building like a powder keg. How, how do you see this? Uh, through the lens of history, I guess. I think that... Uh, oh, but nobody reads history anymore. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't mean it's not there and that it, does, it, it doesn't guide us. Uh, I think we've always needed somebody to fear. You go back over the last uh, century, over a century, and there's always... You can't find an era in, in American history where there was not somebody to fear and where that we were not... in. You know, others of us were not sort of invited to, to circle, to rally around that fear, whoever it was that we were fearing were rallying around against that, whether it was the Germans in the era of the First World War, the communists throughout the, uh, the century, or, you know, we were seeing communists under every, uh, under every bush, or African Americans at one point, gays, you know, gay people, uh, you know, have, have had that, Muslims, uh, immigrants have sort of been off and on through that period, so the Japanese, obviously, during the Second World War, so it's like, there's always somebody that we are told that we're supposed to fear, that the rapper Chuck D of, of Public Enemy uses the phrase, weapons of mass distraction, and I like that, and I think it's very apropos, but then once you understand that you've been the victim of uh, weapons of mass distraction, the question you have to ask is, distracted, distracted from what? 
<laughs> that to me is the great is is the question that sort of that that needed to be asked all of these times and all of these years, but we've never really gotten around to that. Well, let me ask you the question: What are we being distracted from? Uh, I think that we are distracted from a, uh, from a bunch of things. I think that with not only the the, the um, idea of giving us who it is that we need to fear, but also, frankly, with the uh, shiny toys that we are given to uh, to buy. Uh, I think that we are distracted from uh, economic issues. I think we're distracted from uh, from uh, the growing um, uh, uh, gap between uh, between wealth, between the haves and the and the and the, the don't haves in this country. I think we're distracted from from the world. I think we're distracted from the fact that our educational system is crumbling and we are producing kids who can't read their own diplomas. I think you know it, we're, we're distracted from a bunch of stuff. Well, these problems are so complex. They're so multi-layered and convoluted that I think that exactly. sometimes people just stand back and they say, what can I do? You know, I can get dinner on the table. I can get my kids exactly. to do their homework. Exactly. You know, you have to focus on the things you, you have some hope of accomplishing. Uh, and I, so I do think people just withdraw. But see, that's that's the difference. You know, we have been, it's fascinating to me that we in this era where we have so much technological power at our fingertips. Each of us as individuals has so much technological power at our fingertips that we feel so anonymous and so helpless to affect change. And yet you go back just 40 years to our you know, parents and in some cases grandparents who had rotary dial telephones and mimeograph, not even Xerox, but mimeograph machines. And what did they do? Well, they brought down a system of segregation that had existed for most of a century. They unchained women from the, from the gulag of the, uh, the kitchen. They uh, helped to bring down a war they, to stop a war. They helped to bring down a crooked president, on and on and on. So where does this new sense of helplessness come from, this sense of, well, you know, the problems are too big, so I'll just put on dinner and, and, and let the kids, you know. But don't play, you think uh, that when you, create, when you create economic duress, as you said earlier, when you put the choice to eat or the choice mm -hmm. to have principles and to make social change, when you put mm -hmm. those choices in front of people, don't they pick the choice to eat? They pick the choice to eat, but they also get angry at even at, at least once upon a time. They pick the choice to eat, but they also get angry at having to, to even make the choice. And I'm, when I say this, what I'm about to say, I don't understand as me opting or, or, or uh, suggesting that there should be revolution. But the thing that comes to mind for me when you say that is, is the fact that in the in the midst of the greatest economic downturn the country has ever faced, you mm -hmm. know, people were exercised. They were in the streets. They were marching and protesting. And there was talk of, of revolution from some folks in this country. So they, they were not just sort of passively accepting this. They were, they were not sitting there taking it and, and going to... And, and yet we had this Occupy Wall Street movement just absolutely fizzle out right in front of our eyes. I think you know, the Occupy movement was such a frustration and such a disappointment to me. And I remember at the time uh, saying, okay, you've got our attention, now do something with it. And somebody wrote this really uh, navel-gazing uh, essay about how this is a new model of, 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 of protest and it's, it's not about going towards some particular goal it's a new it's a form of life and et cetera and et cetera and it really kind of frustrated me because you know with all due respect to the new and to the modern i think some things are are just some things just don't change if you're going to protest it works best if the people that you are protesting against uh and for that matter the people you're protesting for know what it is you're you're advocating right there were there were too many agendas yeah. there was not one yeah. single agenda that they hoped to accomplish Exactly. What is your what is it you want, and what is it you want us to do? What do you want to achieve, and what are the what are the steps to that? 
that's what, you know, that's what the civil rights movement was about. That's what the, um, the women's movement was about. You know, they, 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 they did, they, they chose very discreet, uh, sections or whatever it was that, that, that they were upset with. And these are the things that they, that they motivate, that they, uh, that they, uh, acted against, uh, the, the civil rights movement. First, they got the civil rights act. Then they got the voting rights act. Before that, they got desegregation of the, uh, of the uh, lunch counter. Before that, they got desegregation of, of, um, of buses. They sort of took this thing in pieces. Before that, they got desegregation of schools. It wasn't a thing of, you know, we're, we're tired of being treated badly and we're going to camp out in the park until you treat us better. No, <laughs> these, these, these are the specific goals That's that, right. we are, that we are fighting for. Right. I think you make a good point that it almost felt as though, well, we're just going to be a public nuisance and we won't go away until you, uh, I don't know, give us some sleeping bags or clothes or I don't know what was going on there. Uh, It was very unfortunate, but it felt to me as though uh, if they, you know, that they there was this feeling that if they narrowed in on a agenda, something that was actually achievable, it would be exclusionary and they didn't want to exclude anyone. And it seemed to uh, be an impossible uh, objective. Yeah, you, someone is going to be excluded by by definition. Anytime you form form a group based upon whatever, someone is going to be excluded by definition. But guess what? This is America. That person can then go and form his or her own group. Well said. You know? So we we have to take our last break. When we come back, we'll be talking to you about your book, Free Man. You're listening to the Costa Report. Are you looking for fresh, creative, and healthy ideas to bring to your table? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole makes it easy to eat the right foods with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. Whether it's Sunday night family dinner or a lunchtime indulgent with your favorite salad ingredients, let your culinary imagination soar with more than 30 varieties of salad blends that range from sweet and subtle to zesty and bold. For the ultimate in fresh convenience, try Dole's all-inclusive salad kits with farm-fresh lettuces, crunchy vegetables, and all-natural Dole specialty dressings and toppings. To learn more about Dole salads and for inspiring recipe ideas, visit Dole.com salads or like Dole Salad Guide on Facebook. With so many delicious and convenient choices, it's easy to find nutritious inspiration with Dole salads. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. We have an important election coming this November, and I know that many folks are struggling right now. And if you're not struggling, well, then you're just flat out worried. I know that you're hoping that the next president, whoever they are, will have a plan for getting us out of an economic hole that keeps getting deeper. But this time around, the answers may not come from the top down. Something is happening to us, and it is happening to all people in all nations at the exact same time. And that is why I am asking you to take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle. It's a book that will change the way you see our problems and also the upcoming election. So please pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. It's available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores everywhere. You can also grab a copy at Rebecca Costa. 
Media.com. But don't wait. Take a moment to get your copy. And together, let's get our lives and our country moving forward again. Hi, folks. Warren Knox here of Knox Roofing. Going through my tackle box the other day brought to mind all the choices we have. Lures like a Castmaster, a Wobble Right, Super Dupers, Ford Fenders, a Crocodile, Panther Martin, or a Blue Fox. A Hoochie might work. It's hard to know which one. All work differently. When it comes to hiring a roofing contractor, it's a lot like a tackle box. Lots of choices between contractors. Some look flashy, talk, dress fancy have a lot of promises and can be very convincing and pretty. But when it comes to your home, especially your roof, there's only one choice to get the job done right, and that's Knox Roofing. So folks, don't get lured in by a flashy contractor. Knox Roofing tells it straight. We have a track record unsurpassed in the community. If poor workmanship and substandard materials is what you're looking for, Knox Roofing is not for you. So give Knox Roofing a call today. We'll be a good catch for you at 461 634. Thanks, folks. I'm Jim Bohannon, host of America in the Morning. Each day, we take you around America and the world to bring you the latest from the Midwest, the Middle East, or the middle of ground zero. A 911 call in the middle of the night. This is Howard Ehrenstein in Washington. Peter Mayer, the White House. David Dow, Los Angeles. Kimberly Dozier, Islamabad. And we wake up the newsmakers who wake up the world. We're joined by Senator Joe Lieberman, former Defense Secretary William Cohen, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And while we keep our eye on the top news, we never lose sight of all the information you need to make your life complete. Well, Jim, the Northeast has had storm systems sweeping across the Northeast today. Sports time and the Tony Roberts Morning Drive jumpstarts your day. What jumpstarts your morning drive? We'd like to join Jim Bohannon on America in the Morning, 5 to 6, Monday through Friday on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Our guest today is author and award-winning columnist Leonard Pitts Jr. And before the last break, we were talking about the fact that the Occupy Wall Street movement seemed to start out with the right idea of calling attention to the growing gap between the poor and wealthy. But they could not agree on a single objective to achieve. And and also that the public is, is very easily distracted from our most dangerous problems. Uh, did you have some additional thoughts on that, Mr. Pitts? No, I think actually you pretty you, you you pretty well covered it right there. I think that uh, you know we we definitely need a movement with that energy, but it needs to be constructed in such a way that uh, you know there's a hook that people can grab onto, and you say, okay, this is the thing that we're going for. There are other things that are important, and we will you know once we've made movement on this first thing, then we will go and recalibrate and, and tackle those other things. But you need to have some sort of focus. You need to let people know what it is that you're that you're looking for, and you need to have some sort of uh, action plan. With none of which one thing you and I are in violent agreement on is that social change happens in increments. I am an incrementalist, and I believe that you keep moving the ball forward one yard at a time, and, and, and that we tend to be very impatient, and we just want to pass the ball to somebody and have them running run into the end zone. Uh, most significant change takes a long time, and it's done in small increments that are part of a larger plan. Would you agree? Yeah, and it's it's funny. I, I think that it, what seems slow at the time can actually turn out to be very fast. I had a friend who was a, a Black Panther in the 60s, and he said the reason that he was a Black Panther is because they were tired uh, and impatient with all the marches and the speeches and the sit-ins, and, you know, they wanted to see change now, and they felt that if they shot somebody or blew up something or 
did something that it, it would be changed now. And he looks back with some wonder and realized that the, the entirety of the civil rights movement was about 13 years, mm-hmm. which in the, in the course of history is extraordinarily. That's the blink of an eye. It's the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. But while he was in the midst of that period, it seemed like something else. It seemed like it was very long. Yeah, we don't have a, a good reputation for patience in America. That's for darn sure. Now, in your yeah. novel, Freeman, uh, it's a novel about love and redemption. These are my two favorite themes. <laughs> so for <laughs> listeners who have not read it, can you uh, explain a little bit how these themes play out in your work? Yeah, uh, Sam Freeman is a uh, former slave whom we meet at the end of the Civil War. And when you get the news that the war is over, he's living rather comfortably, actually, in Boston. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, he immediately, two days later, he embarks on a uh, on a journey by foot uh, to uh, Mississippi, looking for his wife, whom he hasn't seen for 15 years. Doesn't know if she's dead or alive, or even if she wants to see him. Uh, but the main thing that he's scared of is that even if she is alive, uh, and even if she's in the same place and doesn't have a new husband and all these other things, uh, she may hate him because she may blame him for the birth or the uh, the death of their son, for getting their son killed on him ill-advised escape attempt so it's about uh it's about enduring love i guess it's about the, the the length that this man goes through to uh to restore uh his, his family or what's left of his family which is his wife tilda and also to redeem uh or, or to, to deal with i guess is a better word uh that uh, that broken place between them the loss of their son and the back and the role that he played in in, in, in the death of their son now, each of the characters in your book reacts to the abolition of slavery in, in very different ways. Was that your intent to show how these large historical events are interpreted and managed in very unique and personal ways? Yeah, I, I, I get tired of, of reading uh, history, uh, or, or, or I'm sorry, people's perceptions of history, more, more accurate, mm-hmm. uh, where we sort of have these uh, real black and white images of what what happened in this country and who and, and how things were and actually uh, the reality is that people behaved in all kinds of of ways that are pro- perhaps contrary to the way that we would think they would behave there were slave owners who were not bad people there were there were slaves who for whatever reason were frightened of freedom and did not want freedom there are all these different shadings and gradations of responses from people, and to me, that's much more fascinating to deal with than the old than the usual old paradigm of evil, you know, evil slave owners and and, and virtuous slaves. Oh, sure, it goes right. back to the sharks versus the jets. We think we we exactly. we we make everything polarized, and I think it's because our brains have evolved to deal with very simple models, even though that's not the environment we live in anymore. Um, Edward Wilson points out that we have these Paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology, and so <laughs> we become you know paralyzed, or worse yet, we go the wrong way. Um, um, yet you you seem very optimistic by nature. Yeah, I I, use, I usually tell people if you're not going to be optimistic, then what you know what gets you out of bed in the morning? If you're not optimistic that this is going to be a better day or that you're going to be able to do something that changes something, uh, then I don't know how you get out of bed in the morning. At least for me, uh, <laughs> to me you got to have that sense that you know this is a new day and 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 maybe we can make some change. Maybe we can be a little bit better today than we were yesterday but not as good as we will, as we will be tomorrow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what are you working on now? Tell us a little bit. Give us a preview here. Uh, I am uh, four chapters in on a uh, new novel called Grant Park, which takes place uh, over two time periods. 
with the same character. We meet him at uh, the age of 60 as a disgruntled journalist uh, on the uh, day of the um, of the last election. I'm there with Barack Obama. Now, now I want to stop. This is nonfiction. This is nonfiction. <laughs> this is not me. Uh, you started talking about a disgruntled journalist, and you know, oh, my ears perk up and go, all right, where are we going here? I am quite gruntled, so we don't have to worry about that. Uh, and uh, we also meet uh, the other half of the book takes place in 1968 in the spring in Memphis, and he is 20, a 20-year-old 20 has a brief encounter with uh, Martin Luther King that sort of changes his life. And so we bounce back and forth between those two time periods in the book. I see. So we're, we're looking at where he ended up and then how he ended up that way. Yeah, and it, uh, you mentioned optimism. I think it, it, one of the themes of the book, and there are several, one of the themes of the book will be uh, optimism, the fact that at one point uh, back in the uh, in the 60s, there was sort of this sense that we we had overcome, that we shall overcome, but we had overcome at least to some degree. Uh, and uh, the course of his life has been a, a course of finding out uh you know, to what degree we actually have not, uh, we actually have not overcome how, how, how things have changed, and yet at the same time they have not. Well, we'll need a sequel on um, this character's grandchildren, you know, moving out 100 years out into the future and seeing how maybe his <laughs> actions affected it. This, this could be a whole series before you know it, and since you're only four chapters in, you can, you can write in the series, right? <laughs> I, can, I can do that. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> so Now, before we let you go, where can listeners go to get more information about your books, your columns, your speaking schedule? Uh, you can find information on uh, the uh, column at MiamiHerald.com. Uh, my book is available at Barnes & Noble or at Amazon.com. And my website, and speaking of speaking schedule, I guess I need to update my, my calendar on the website, but it's LeonardPitzJr.com. You know, I, I know how you feel about that. I'm just getting ready to hit the road myself. And, and it's it's hard to keep those websites current. I, I have folks helping me, but even so, things are moving so much quicker. I, I don't think it's me. I just think the speed of change seems to be accelerating. You know, I'm gonna. That's my. That's my excuse. That's what I'm gonna say. It's not just. It's not me. It's the speed of change. <laughs> I like that. That's right. Well, well, that's our program for today. But before we let you go, I want to thank you uh, very much for your insightful columns week after week. I am a big fan, and I do look forward to your next book. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Thank you very much. If your station is leaving us after the first hour. You do not want to miss our program next week. CNN analyst John King will be with me to break down the vice presidential debate after a very strong performance by Mitt Romney in the first presidential debate. All eyes are on Joe Biden, who is predicted to come out guns a-blazing. So how will Paul Ryan stand up to Biden? Uh, and is there any danger that Biden overshadows Obama's debate performance in the same way some critics felt that Clinton may have during the Democratic convention? You can find out next week when CNN's own John King joins me to deconstruct the vice presidential debates. So join me next week right here on your favorite weekly news program. I also want to take a special moment to thank my guest today. 
uh, Mr. Leonard Pitts Jr. If you have not picked up a copy of his book, Free Man, it's in paperback now in all major bookstores and Amazon.com. I do want to tell you it's a lovely novel. It's it's not a it's not nonfiction. It's not historical. If you don't feel like reading a textbook, Mr. Pitts says nobody reads history. You won't feel like you're reading history. His characters come alive. They have depth. They have emotions. It's very easy to relate to them. And I promise you, once you get into the first couple of chapters, you will not be able to put this book down. It's a wonderful, wonderful read and one that you should pick up over the holidays and maybe sit in a nice, comfortable chair, put a blanket over yourself, get a cup of tea or coffee and dig into a chapter of American history. Uh, And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye and I will see you here next week. You're listening to the Costa Report. no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven. But here's a little bit of good news. Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner-broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831-622-1040 or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers. If you're the type of person who likes to volunteer and help others, this should interest you. What better way to help people than to help them overcome their health challenges? Youngevity has been helping people overcome their health challenges for years. Our approach to health is drastically different than medical doctors who mostly only treat symptoms. As a veterinarian, Dr. Joel Wallach discovered that many common disease states are actually preventable and reversible. Our mission at Longevity is to educate Americans about their own health. If you like helping people, join us in our fight to save America. While you're helping people prevent and overcome health challenges, you will also be able to build a lucrative home-based business. So what are you waiting for? Come join us and help save America. For more information or to order, call Andy or Phyllis Anderson at 888-245-0300. That's 888-245-0300. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 